Welcome to the Speakings Podcast. My name is Sandra. I'm a writer and philosopher in training as I'm currently a PhD student. And in these episodes, I speak about philosophical and spiritual topics in a mainly unscripted way, as I hope to capture some of the dynamism of thought that philosophers have to really wrestle with each idea, taking them seriously. And I hope you do the same as I present these ideas to you. You can leave reviews or email me to let me know what you think. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. I have a paper to finish writing, but it seems that I'm not given much energy to finish my necessary projects unless I am also feeding the fire that is inside of me that can't be exhausted by a single interest. This is, of course, an imaginative way of thinking of one's life mission, but every conceptual schema is a mythology if you go down far enough. So if you hold these mythologies lightly, you shouldn't get into much trouble in terms of rationality. I think if you imagine that you have a particular kind of energy and it feeds you and you feed that energy, then of course it will follow certain paths, it will travel down certain tendencies. In order to be truly successful, you must learn to tend to this energy in the particular way that it requires with no self-deception which is difficult of course this is the human problem self-deception I could be procrastinating my paper writing as we tend to do or I could be acting authentically, with full integrity. And only I will really know, and that is a very unscientific and uncertain enterprise, because I can tell you that I'm acting authentically, but you will never know for certain. And I might not even know, because I can be tricking myself in many ways. Of course, there's a deeper knowing that I believe we can access. A knowing that does not self-deceive, that doesn't even know how to self-deceive because there is no self to speak of. But this is a lifelong practice. So there's always a risk of self-deception. And because of this risk, 
systems of control are created in order to manufacture the illusion of control. Control over others, but also control over ourselves. And to manufacture the illusion of progress. No one knows for sure whether or not their lives are progressing in the direction they want it to. A person may pursue a path with incredible focus and devotion and end almost at their graves before realizing that it was a deception, a path that never fed them. I don't want to cast a kind of paranoid doubt on your path because you never get to the end and realize that with a sense of complete shock. You realize that because you've allowed certain parts of your, of your, of your life, of your mind, of your body to go blind and to remain in blindness. I don't mean darkness, the good kind of darkness, the darkness that makes tender your life, that deepens you, that widens you, that breaks you in the ways that you need to be broken. I don't mean darkness, I mean blindness. I mean looking at the darkness and being afraid. And so closing your eyes instead of staring it in the face. Which parts of you are blind? Which parts of me are blind? I want to remain awake and this is the only life practice that will secure the reward that I truly desire, which is peace. No other practice can secure that. Anything can be an opiate. Marx said that religion was an opiate of the masses. That can be true, and it can be false. Religion can awaken you, or it can dim you, allow you to remain comfortable in your blindness. For most people, their modern opiate is entertainment and distraction and a host of other things that you can mention to yourself because they're easy to see. Anything can be a tool of awakening or a blinder, a muffler, a dimmer, spirituality, can be grafted onto the ego in a way that reifies your sense of self and convinces you that you are good, that you are better, that you are different. Or it can be a path of awakening. And on and on I can go. 
one little example. We tend to speak of reading as if it were a universal moral good because it's an older kind of technology. Reading was an incredible evolutionary advance, especially reading to oneself. There's an interesting book that talks about some of this research. It's called The Shallows. It's by Nicholas Carr. And it talks about the internet age and how it might be changing our brains. And as part of that, he talks about the impact of reading on the human psyche, on the human mind, which is quite remarkable. Because the human didn't evolve, let's say, to sustain such levels of depth while while in a focused mode of reading. I am quite partial to reading. I read quite a bit, not as much as some of those books to grammars, and there must be a TikTok equivalent, but I don't know what it is. Some people read incredible amounts, and I admire them for it, because that might be what their brain needs. But I've also realized that more is never necessarily better. Being a student in philosophy, I have to read difficult texts very closely. That means that I read less. And yet some of the best scholars I know, usually older scholars, have read less of the secondary literature and more of the key texts in the Western canon and have emerged with a much greater depth and fluency in the fundamental problems whereas sometimes younger scholars tend to skim, 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 skim and gather all sorts of terms and terminology that I think is often very obscurantist and unnecessary, if not just annoying. (laughs) That's my bias coming through. But I think that too much technical jargon can just throw a veil over philosophy so there's no real communication happening with the outside world or with other disciplines. Whereas older scholars often have a much deeper grasp of these issues and often they also lack a connection to the real world or are not comfortable with its application to certain identitarian issues or colonialism, etc. So this isn't to um, say that one group is necessarily better than the other, but I think that There's incredible value in reading deeply and closely. You know, a single book can save your life, whereas 200 will do nothing. Most nonfiction titles in America today are basically capitalist garbage. They're written to be easily digestible. Most of it is motivational or written for the business-minded person. That's fine if you're a business person. Of course, you should educate yourself if you are. But when you know 90% of nonfiction titles are written under the same exact rubric, you have to wonder what kind of ideology is giving birth to these disparate titles and why. Typically in motivational or psychological popular titles, the brain and the human being are treated as a kind of machine meant to run smoothly. 
as if we were simply here to experience pleasure, to maximize happiness. And we are, in some sense, I write extensively, if not almost exclusively recently, about joy. I try to distinguish it from happiness in the way that it's often conceptualized in our individualistic culture. But I think joy will save the world. And that includes a really deep sense of pleasure. But positive psychology often treats humans like just little units, individualized persons with no real link to a living, breathing environment. Positive thinking will not save you, it will not save the earth, it will not fix anything. What we need is reality, we need truth. And when there's truth, joy will follow. (laughs) Because joy and truth and love are all connected, they all suck from the same soil. Their roots are entangled. We need truth. (laughs) And truth will never be found in one individual human. It will be found by looking at the vast web of relationships that connect us to everything and everyone. And when we heal those relationships, as we heal those relationships... Joy will shoot through the veins of everything because we are one system connected by one set of veins. If our rivers are poisoned, our blood is poisoned. If the oceans are poisoned, our cells are poisoned. There's no escaping what we've created. Positive thinking won't pull us out of that. Truth will. And truth is not despairing. It might be initially. It might make you uncomfortable. But if you are still in despair, you're not at the end. The end is always joy. Joy.